Um, okay, so we're going we're gonna to start in John 11. John chapter 11, we're going to talk about the story of Lazarus today. Lazarus is a story that's known the world over because it is such an incredible story. Even people who don't necessarily uh, believe the Bible or who, not, who are not Christians, they know this story because it's traveled worldwide because it's so incredible and so impressive. And so let's pray over the scriptures and then let's read this story here. Father, thank you for your word that the entrance of it gives us light. Thank you for revelation. Thank you that your words come alive to us as we're reading them, that your voice is loud and clear. Father, I pray that you give us grace, grace to hear and then grace to obey. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in verse 17 of John chapter 11, and uh, we'll just jump right into the story. Jesus has been talking to his disciples about coming to where Lazarus is because Lazarus is sick, and uh, Lazarus is living with his, uh, his two sisters in the same uh, little town of Bethany, and, um, and so Jesus has sort of delayed his coming. And here in verse 17, we'll pick up the story. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So clearly, Lazarus is dead. Four days, Jesus waited. He, and, and, and if you read the verses up to 17, you will see that he waited on purpose. And he was waiting to do what his father wanted him to do, and he was waiting to reveal something. He was waiting to reveal resurrection life. And so uh, verse 18 says, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you have your pen and your Bible open, I want you to underline that little verse. If you're highlighting on your device, highlight that little phrase, right? If you had been here. Martha had an idea of what should have happened. Martha wanted Lazarus to be healed. Martha was waiting for Jesus to show up, and he was late. And so her first greeting is not, hey, I love you, good to see you. It's, if you would have just been here. I don't know what it is about Jesus, but he always seems to be late. Do you find that in your life? It's like you want Jesus to do something, and he's just always late. But then you look back, and you go, oh, that's where you were. That's what you were doing. There's always something that we see that we kind of want, how we want things to unfold. And in fact, even as Christians, I think sometimes we, we ask Jesus to do the things that we want him to do instead of surrendering to whatever he wants to do. And we, we tend to say to Jesus, here's how it would work, here's what we need, here's what we want, here's what needs to happen, and certainly I've seen you heal. Martha would have seen the miracles that Jesus has done, and so she's thinking in her mind, this is how it needs to be. But Jesus had another plan. He had another purpose. He was functioning on a different plane than Martha was. Verse 22 says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. 
So in Martha, there's like, a, man, if only you'd been here, then something amazing could happen. But then she still has like this little inkling of hope. It's like, but even now, I know that, that whatever you say, whatever, whatever we need, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. He said it out straight. He said, your brother is going to rise again. And then I think verse 24, Martha was kind of like doing that thing where you say a statement, but it's really a question, right? Like you're saying the statement, but you're kind of like question, like it's a little bit of a question. You're like hinting. And so I think Martha was kind of like, so I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Like, is that what you're talking about? Because yeah, I believe that. I, I know that's true. Is there something else? The wonderful news is there was something else. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes, everybody say believes. 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 Say it again. Believes. believes. Come on, are you sleepy? Are you tired? Push the person next to you. Say, wake up. No, a little harder. <laughs> okay. All right. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says to her. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're all getting older. It just happens. Just like it's going and we're getting older and, and, and we're all going to die. <laughs> right? There's a, there's, a, there's a thing. Our body, in other words, our body will wear out. I don't know if you've noticed, but gravity has an excessive force on our bodies. And what used to be here now kind of lives right in here. I don't know what that is, but everything, death is sort of all around us, and it's pulling us into the ground. That's what's happening. And <laughs> you never thought about it like that, did you? But death is like pulling us into the ground, and, 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 and we're living around it, and death is all around us and even in us, and there are people who are spiritually dead, and they're living spiritually dead, and all they have to live for is what it can, they can get in this life right here, so they keep filling themselves with stuff to feel alive. You saw it in the, in the video. Jan was, was going down a mountain and, and uh, uh, snowboarding. I've never snowboarded because I wanted to retain the use of my wrists, but, but I... I, 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 I used to ski, and, and, and there's nothing worse than snowboarding down moguls drunk. What was she doing? She was, trying, she was just trying to live life to the fullest, trying to feel alive because she felt so dead. It's happening all around us, and it even happens inside of us. Jesus says himself, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he's dying, even though he dies. You can have resurrection life now, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The Jewish people had a concept of a massive resurrection of the righteous at the end of all time, at the end of days. And so this would have made sense to Mary or to Martha, she was asking, so everyone's going to rise in the last day. I get that, but what about now? And Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm here now. I am resurrection life, and I'm here right now. That's the answer. She didn't know it was the answer, but she, he says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
That's what he said. Do you believe this? That's the question for Martha, and that's the question for you and me. Do you really believe this? Or do you think this is a nice little story? Verse 27, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ. That means the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And then she goes and gets Mary and tells her to come and meet Jesus. Verse 32, we pick it up. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, look at this, check this out. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So same thing. They're both stuck on this idea. They have an idea of how it should be. Much like us today, we have an idea of what it should be. Jesus has a whole new other idea that he's trying to work on. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in the Bible, here it is. If you were ever curious, you can all memorize this one. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus cry? Bible scholars talk about it. Nobody really knows, but I, there's, there's all kinds of theories. He could have been crying for the brokenness of humanity. It was, it was so broken. It was that death was having its way in people's lives, and he, and he knew it wasn't the way it was first created. Could be that he was had great compassion for what was going on and the sadness around him. Here's what I believe. I, I think he was in, I think it's all true, and I think he was in the moment with them. He was engaged fully. Everything he was, he was there in that moment with them. And that is true for you and for me too today. Jesus is fully engaged fully ready. He is fully empowered by the Holy Spirit to engage with what's going on in your life, with our lives. And I think, I think he was totally engaged here emotionally and, and, and intellectually and spiritually. And so he's weeping with them. This is what Jesus does with humanity. He's with us. Verse 37, but some of them or verse 36 says, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? So they thought, like he's so sad that Lazarus is gone. I don't think that was what it was because, because he was about to do something pretty profound. Verse 37, but some, one of the, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind men have kept this man from dying? So everybody's thinking, it's like, what? What? why hasn't Jesus showed up? Why didn't he, why was he late? He, couldn't he have done this? Couldn't he have done something about this? I tell you, just when I think about this, I think we function like this so often, always second-guessing him. Do you know what's so amazing about Jesus is whatever circumstances he finds himself in, he has an infinite number of options at his disposal. No matter what you've done to screw it up, no matter what others have done to screw it up, he is infinite in his being. He's 100% God. The Holy Spirit is at work in us. And no matter where we find ourselves, there is something good that he can make out of it. He has a purpose that he's going to accomplish. And the big question with life for all of us is, are we going to surrender to him and the belief, everybody say believe, the belief that he has all the power and that resurrection life actually does exist. 
and that we can have confidence in him. Jesus once more deeply moved, the scripture says, came to the tomb and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance and take away the stone, he said, but, but Lord, said Martha, this is another one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the sister of the dead man, she said, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. The King James Version says, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> we use that around my house all the time. I got four boys. By this time you stinketh. You need a bath. <laughs> verse 40 says then and hey hey you know what jesus knew what he was doing he wanted to make sure he was good and dead because he wanted to he wanted to demonstrate something that was coming in fact if you read the rest of this chapter you will see that the religious leaders got so angry at this miracle this was like the last straw it was over they were going to kill jesus because he was taking he was taking the masses with him towards resurrection life and power, and they were losing their control. They were trying to impose their behaviors. They were trying to impose dead, dark religion and destroying people's lives. And, and Jesus was trying to release them to resurrection life. So here he says, verse 40, Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Verse 41, so they took away the stone and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, I love this phrase, take off the grave clothes and let him go. That's what this series is about. Taking off the grave clothes, being freed, letting go. I think there's an, a, a struggle here. We've been looking at some ideas over the last few weeks. Let's just review for a moment. Number one, freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. No matter what's going on, no matter what's happening, freedom is not about the absence of something and trying to get rid of stuff. We spend all our lives trying to get rid of things and it doesn't produce freedom. Freedom is produced by someone. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Look what, how Paul said it in Galatians 2. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I've committed to relinquishing my life, death for me, and I no longer live. Take your pen and underline that. I no longer live. Well, who's living? What, you, what, what is this? You're dead? No, Paul's talking about a mystery here. But Christ lives in me. It's his life that's fueling me. The life I now live in the body, Paul's saying, I'm not dead. My body's not worn out. I'm still, I'm still alive in my body, but there's life living in me. I live by faith. I live by believing. I live by trusting. And the problem for so many of us if, is we just stop trusting when it gets hard. We stop believing when it gets disappointing. We stop believing that God has a purpose because we think he should have done it this way and he's late. But here's what Paul said, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So our life comes from the one we believe in. 
What, what we don't believe in is a religion of works. It's not Jesus died for you, so you should try really hard to live for him. That's not how it works. In fact, that's impossible. Christianity is an inside-out religion, not an outside-in. Change can be very difficult if we don't understand resurrection life. People are all trying to change themselves. I want to review some ideas. I want to, I want to give you a big-picture idea of something. Jesus always in the scriptures, as he was telling stories, he would, he would use illustrations, and he would say, the kingdom of heaven is like something. And I want to tell you today that the kingdom of heaven is like potty training. It's like potty training. Uh, I have five kids, and uh, my wife has, and my wife and I have changed a lot of dirty diapers, mostly my wife. I'm pretty impressed by her diaper changing skills, but it is, I mean, let's, let's be real. It's not fun, right? I mean, we, a lot of diapers, five kids over 12 years, so we were wiping butts for 15 years. That's a long time. And, uh, and, and I, I did all the, math and everything, and, and I, I, if you do three diapers a day, what? I know, at, but for three years, for three years, like for three diapers a day for three years, early it's a lot more than that, later it's less than that, but, but, but three years you're doing, if you do all the math, five kids, 16,000 diapers, more than 16,000 diapers. Listen, believe me when I tell you that when we potty trained the last kid, there were dancing in the streets. It, it was like, yes! And we got a raise because we stopped buying diapers. <laughs> and it was so awesome. And, and something happens to a child when they get potty trained. Let's explain it like this. A diaper gets dirty and then you change it. And then it changes itself back. Then it's dirty again, and then you change it, and then it changes again, and then you got to change it, and then it changes, and then it changes, and then you change it again, and it, it's change that's not really change. This is the story of a lot of Christians and a lot of people. They're trying to change over and over again, and actually, they view Jesus as the one who changes their diapers, and just as we were willing and love our kids so much not to make them sit in their poop for very long. <laughs> it's a source of a lot of mother's guilt, you know, the, the, the length of time they make their babies, you know. So, so listen, listen, a child, a child, it's, it's not fun sitting in all that. And we were willing to change our kids' diapers because we love them. Jesus is willing to do that for you. He, we could kind of come to him, Jesus, we just messed up. Lord, would you please help me? And then he cleans you up. And then just mess, mess up, clean up, mess up, clean up, mess up, clean up. This is the extent of our relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you that they, he has so much more for you? Change for a Christian is not a linear thing that you just go along and you're going along, you're trying to do better, do better, do better, do better, and Jesus keeps cleaning up, keeps cleaning up. He loves you. Listen, he loves you, but he has so much more for you. And when you, when you potty train a kid, it transforms everything. Like you're not wearing these really uncomfortable pants, and you're not always trying to figure, I mean, for the parent, it's still a little tricky because you got to make sure they went before they get in the car and then they went after and all that stuff. But, but listen, Jesus has so much more for us as believers. 
than just cleaning up our messes. He has a freedom that he wants us to live in and he's willing to do it. He loves us, but he doesn't want us to sit in our poop. And, w- and here's the thing. When you, when you get potty trained, it's like, a sh- it's like a, another reality. You, you get so many more freedoms when you're potty trained. It's kind of like riding a bike. When you, remember when you learned how to ride a bike or when you taught your kids how to ride a bike and you're riding and they look like so scared and they can't ride and then so, you run with them and run with them. That's how I did it. I ran behind them. Oh, it's okay, come on. You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. And then suddenly they get it and it's like, oh, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And you know what's weird, amazing? They never forget how to do it. How do we never forget how to ride? It's because there's a transformation in that moment to a way of living a way of functioning, you understand everything about physics and gravity and balance, and it's just, it's in you. You never forget it. That's, that's how Jesus wants you to live in him. That's what resurrection life is. It's not a linear pro- process, but a giant leap in freedom. And so here's how most people try it, all right? Most people, five levels of change, all right? These are different levels. These are not sort of a linear thing. This is just things people try. The first thing is they try to change their environment. They try to change their, their job. They try to change the city they live in. They try to change their spouse. I'm t- life is horrible. I'm going to trade her in for a new model. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's terrible. It's a, they think that the external is the problem when really the problem is inside. We think that if we could just change the things around us, everything would change, but, ex- but external change is not the solution. The solution is what's going on, what Jesus does inside, and there is a freedom that you can have inside even if things are bad on the outside. Paul wrote most of the New Testament from a jail cell, had a tremendous amount of freedom that he was that he was um, depositing in these letters to these people, circumstances cannot, cannot determine our freedom. Hey, you need to, you need to get that. You need, to, you need to circle that, underline it on your message notes. Circumstances do not have to determine your freedom. And there's a level of freedom that is not determined by what's going on around us, and neither is it determined by our behaviors. That's number two. Behaviors. This is how people, I'm going to try, try to behave differently. I'm going to try to diet. I'm going to try to uh, I'm gonna go to counseling. I'm going I'm I'm, I'm to go to church more. I'm going to do better things. And they, with their behaviors, they try to change their lives. You might think to yourself, I wish I wouldn't scream at my kids this way. I wish I wouldn't look at these things on the internet. I wish I wouldn't, you know, you go down the list of things that you, we wish we wouldn't do, and yet we're compelled to do them, and our, our behaviors kind of take over, and, and we try to change them, and it seems futile. I don't know if you've ever been in the stupid cycle. Do you know what the stupid cycle is? The stupid cycle is, man, I did something really stupid, and then you think to yourself, I'm really stupid. So you did something stupid, then you think you're stupid, and then you feel stupid because you think you're stupid and you did something stupid, and since you feel stupid, you do something stupid again. So you do something stupid, then you think you're stupid, then you feel stupid, and then you do something stupid, then you think you're stupid, then you feel something, and it's a big cycle. What do you think the odds are of doing something smart in that cycle? (laughs) It's really hard to break out of it. 
It's not behaviors that Christ died for. Christ did not die for your behavior modification. He's the, it's not modifying of behavior that's the big deal. What is the big deal is what's going on in here and surrendered to him. And then he begins to work his way out and, and helping you behave in a way that is both healthy for you, loving of him, and, and loving for others. But he works it from the inside out, not from the outside in. A lot of counseling is outside in. You have a, I, I'm not against counseling. I, I, I'm, I think we can get a lot of tools and all that from, from counseling with people who, who have wisdom. But behavior modification is, is kind of the result of a lot of, uh, of therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy, right? If you think better, you'll behave better. Okay, probably basically true, but if it skips something deeper, doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> what is it? Rational emotive therapy. <laughs> Rational and emotions together in the same sentence. <laughs> Trying to figure it out. Jesus has something more in mind. I'm not against counseling, once again, but I think you, have, you can't skip the fundamental underlying issue. People try to d- develop their own capabilities. <laughs> Jesus has so much more than just dirty diapers for you and me. Just dealing with our behaviors. But some people think, they're, 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 if I could just develop a, some better skills, if I could just b- develop better capabilities, I could become like Pastor Ross, and, and, and then my life would be awesome. <laughs> people. People, you don't know Pastor Ross. And the, the, I, I have to live this out and walk this out with you. Because we're all human and we all have this tendency. We want to prove to others that we're okay. But then we think to ourselves after a certain period of time and we can't do these things. We can't behave a certain way. We can't develop skills and we think it's too late for me. I'll never get free. It's a lie. We accept a certain behavior and then we say, well, I know it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for me. You know, it's like dieting. Losing 10 pounds is great, but if you need to lose 12, that last two is really hard. And no matter how many skills you develop, it's like, oh, I just can't get there. And who are you fighting against, right? What are you fighting against when you're trying to lose that weight? Who are you fighting against? Yourself. Who's going to win that battle? (laughs) Nobody, because if you win, you lose. Right, like, like the only battle, listen, the only way it works is if Jesus wins in your life. If you lose everything, Jesus said, if you lose your life, then you'll save it. The harder we work, the more we fail, the more pressure builds, the hopelessness we may feel. We, have, we feel like we have limitations or, we, or we, get, we accomplish great things and we want everybody to recognize it. We may increase our skills, but we create internal conflict because we know what's really going on inside here. Pastors are especially sensitive to this idea because they stand up in front of people and talk about how things should work and what the scripture says but we have to live them out just as you do. And, and so we, we have to surrender everything to Jesus in our heart. And that get, leads us to this, this level four. But the first three levels, they're essentially meaningless and really futile. They're, very little change happens from these three levels. 
very little. But you get to the fourth level of change, and there's a, there's a pretty significant thing here. We've already been talking about it. It's beliefs, the way you believe. Now, let's talk about the difference between thoughts and beliefs, because the way Christians think in the 21st century in America, we kind of think that our, th are you guys still with me? Are you guys still with me? Is this interesting to you? We think that our thoughts are our beliefs, because we're in a very um, cognitive and intellectual society. So we think the thoughts we think are our beliefs, but there is a difference between thoughts and beliefs. Thoughts, if you think about it, are very, they can be articulated. They can, you, you can talk about them. You can craft the thoughts. You can say them. You can argue about them. It is always a woman's prerogative to change her mind, right? So, so you can change your mind pretty easily. I wanted this, but now I want this. But, and, this is, and this is part of where we all live with the struggle. Well, I want this, but really I know that's not good for me, so I want this. And that goes on in our mind. And that's pretty easy. Those are thoughts. And what happens with Christianity is sometimes people are just dealing with the thoughts of Christianity, not the beliefs. Now, make no mistake. The thoughts, the mind is the battleground. There's a battle. And when Jan was describing how she was on all this medication, it was opening up to her up to all this darkness. And, and there's, a, there's a link between your, your mind and what goes on in the, in the spiritual realm. And, and sometimes drugs uh, highlight that. They're just the wrong spirit, right? The Holy Spirit also renews your mind and changes your mind and opens you up to the spiritual realm, but the right spirit, Right? Right, so 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 here's so so your your mind is the battleground, but then what you believe is really the issue. And and here's the problem: beliefs are less articulated and more sensed. We sense them. We don't even know that we believe certain things. A young man whose father rejected him or put him at arm's length all his life. He grows up thinking that his dad doesn't love him or respect him, and therefore he begins to associate a pattern of belief that all men will reject him. And so he feels nervous around older men and then begins to um, project that, that sort of weirdness on an older man, and then the older man is trying to be friends with him, but the, but the kid doesn't know how to be friends, and, and then he's, watch this, he feels rejected by the older man when the older man can't become friends with him, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, and then his experience says, see, all older men reject me. That's the, that's the wickedness of Satan himself and the, the dark schemes that he has for us, but those are beliefs that we somehow grab a hold of very early in life and we function according to them. And any belief that we have that does not line up with the scripture is a lie. So there are people who say, I know God loves, God loves the whole world, John 3, 16, and I get it, but it doesn't work for me. He doesn't really love me. He's really mad at me. That's a belief that lives in a person's heart. And so, check this out. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, 
for everything you do flows from it. Beliefs are often unearthed through circumstances, often connected to traumatic experiences, violations from our past, wounds from our history, disappointments in relationships, and our circumstances begin to inform our beliefs. And we may not even be able to articulate what it is that is at the core of our belief because belief is like a contact lens over our heart. It's like everything you see through your heart is filtered through this idea. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's not the way you think in your mind that determines your experience. It's your beliefs and what is in your heart that shapes us. And that's why Jesus is always trying to get people to live out of their heart and not out of their head. I know, you're like, what? What are you talking about, Pastor Ross? How does this work? Well, it's a supernatural process. There's resurrection, life, and power that is associated with this belief. And the question that we have to, to, to ask ourselves is, do we really believe what God says about himself? The two transformational questions are, what is really true about God and what is really true about you? Not do you believe in God, but what do you believe what do you believe about God that starts to shape it? You know, we live in a post-Christian society now. For the first time in 250 years maybe, right around there, our nation no longer functions strictly according to the Judeo-Christian ethics that it was, that it was built upon, all right? And, and it's, all it means is, for the first time, we're not the dominant idea in society. There is a different set of ideas and values in our society, and Christians are really struggling with how to deal with this. And they think they're still stuck in the idea that we can fix it with intellectual arguments or with the voting box. Like we can legislate the morality that we want. We're, we're the minority. And the question is going to be, how will we function as the minority? The minority belief system. It's only, we're only, listen, we're only going to be able to make it. We're only going to be able to influence if we have resurrection life and power that's flowing in us, that's pushing us beyond just intellectual arguments and into the life of the Holy Spirit and the, His work both in us and His works through us. There's no other way to, there's no other way to, to win those battles and those arguments. And, and so, so what we believe about God is incredibly forming and shaping. Last year when I went through this material, I was working through an idea, and I'm going to tell you the story real quick here as we end. As, as, as a pastor, I think, you know, working through the, the process of what does freedom look like in the life of each person, you know, you look in, inwardly, and I realized that I had a belief that I didn't know was there. And it was triggered by an idea. And the idea that I'd heard all my life, I was a pastor's son, so I heard this idea, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. To minister to other people, touch people. And I think that's a great idea. And, and it's, it's, it's an, an innocuous sort of concept, but it got its claws as a belief into my heart. And here's how it went for me is that if God wants to use me, I have an idea, like Mary and Martha, of how it should look. And, and my idea of how it should look is this, and 
this is reality. <laughs> I think God should use me here and here and here and here, and, and, and my, my, my influence in our city and, and our influence as a church and the number of people in our church should be here, and it's really just here. You know what that means? That means God's not using me as much as he could, or let's be honest, should, but then, I, but then you, you, you play, play out the scenario and the idea, it's, oh, he's, he's, he could use me however I am, right? He's, he's, he's fine. He's fine with using all kinds of people. And so you know what the problem is? The problem is me. I'm the problem because he can't use me. I wish I could just straighten up. I wish I could just do better. I wish I could, do, I wish I could have better capabilities, <laughs> I, and I went back through the process, and I wish my behaviors were a little better as a pastor. I wish I was more disciplined, and I wish I was, and all these things, and I was realizing that I had a belief in my heart that God's greatest value on me was utilitarian. And the thing that made him most happy was me performing for him. I ran into a guy who said one time, he's like, hey, we ought to get rid of this language that God uses people. Because it suggests something other than what God really is. He's like, we don't have relationships with tools. He's like, well, some men do, and it's bad. It's not good. Men who have inordinate relationships with their tools, right? It's not good. But we don't have relationships with tools, and God doesn't have relationships with tools. He has relationships with people. People use people and mistreat each other. People misuse one another and use one another up. God partners with them, co-labors with them, invites them into a relationship, invites them into something that he's doing in the earth. He is for us and with us, and that's what he wants. He wants that kind of relationship. And it was like a, a, a new day for me. Oh, my goodness. I've been thinking about my own performance, and I didn't even realize it, and measuring it against what I thought should happen instead of what Jesus was actually doing. Our beliefs are either shaped by our experiences in life or by an encounter with resurrection life. Hey, think about this. If you get up in the morning, if you get up every morning, right, and you really believe that God has a deep affection for you, what does that make you want to do? Spend the day with him. Spend some time with him. But if you wake up every morning thinking, man, I really got to prove something. I really got to make sure I'm good. I, I don't know. I need Jesus to fix me because I'm really broken. Guess what? You're not going to want to spend time with him because you don't, you don't want to spend time with people who don't really like you. Jesus really loved to spend time with messed up people. Did you know that? He really did. He ate with tax collectors and sinners and he hung out with them. And here's what's more. They liked hanging out with him too. Why? Why did they like eating with him? Because he, several reasons, Here's, I'll boil it down for you. He was open to them. He never pulled any punches. He told the truth. He told stories. He entertained them. He dug into issues that they were facing. He didn't always, he, he didn't always just um, um, let it, uh, uh, he made people make a decision. That's what I wanted to say. He forced a decision many times, but people respected that. And they appreciated it. Listen, God loves you even if you're messed up. And he wants to be with you and he wants to engage with you full on. Everything he's got, he wants to be with you. 
He loves you. He likes you. See, it's a belief over your heart. What do you believe about him and what do you believe about you? Do you believe you're a messed up sinner just trying to wrestle through it, just trying to get to the next day? That's not going to motivate you to be with him. We got to peel off the beliefs that aren't accurate about him and we have to make sure that our beliefs are in who he says he is, that it's accurate, that, that, we, that we are willing to surrender everything to him and he's overwhelming us with his love and his grace. Information will change your thoughts, right? But revelation will change what we believe. And, and, and we have to have revelation of who Jesus is and what he's really saying to us. We just had water baptism after the first two services. It was amazing. And it's an illustration of death, burial, and resurrection life, and identities being changed. And that's the fifth point, and we're going to talk about that next week. Identity. Check this out. Look at me. Look at me. Four things you can change and work on, and one you can't. You can't work on your identity. You either are or aren't. Jesus makes you a son or daughter, or he doesn't. We'll talk about how that works next week and how we can line up our, both our beliefs and our thinking because check this out. Look at this. I'll say this next week too. I didn't say this in any other service, so you're special. <laughs> the way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to, you're supposed to settle your identity and who you are and you know who Jesus is and you know who you are and then you start to believe certain things because that's true. Because you are who he says you are and you believe certain things as a result of that. And then finally, you develop skills that correlate to what you believe and who you are as God's son and the job that he's given you to do or, or God's daughter and what he's given you to partner with him. And then you be, start to behave in a way that's simply a byproduct of who you are and the love relationship you have with him. And suddenly, you are not worried about environments. You're influencing every environment that you're in because you are who he says you are. Close your eyes, bow your head. We're going to come to the Lord's table, and I want you to be willing to come and let go of a way of believing that you might have held on to. Maybe you, you might come to this table, and you might allow Jesus to reveal something. There might be a moment, a pivotal moment right here at the end of this service where he puts his finger on an area of your life and a way of thinking, a way of believing that, that he, really, he really wants to change. And I wonder if you'd be willing to believe that Jesus is enough for you. I wonder if you'd be willing to come to this table and believe that his provision in the bread and the cup, the body and the blood. I wonder if you be would believe that he is enough and that he is what you need to change to be the person you know you want to be but have had trouble becoming. I wonder if you'd believe in the nourishment that the the body of Christ, the, the bread of heaven can give you and the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that can wipe away every sin and every stain and the love that he has for you. I wonder if you could receive that today. Father, I pray that you would meet us right here at this table, a table of provision, 
a table of communion, a table of love, a, t- a table of welcoming. And I pray, Lord Jesus, you'd speak to every person and you'd, uh, you'd help us. You would reveal yourself to us today. In Jesus' name. Now we practice open communion here.